another magical Saturday stream. Oh boy. I am your host, Joe Magician, and today we'll be talking about actually a suggestion from Twitter because I wasn't sure what to do today because I have a bunch of videos I'm working on at the moment to get out before House of the Dragon drops and it would be kind of foolish to, you know, do streams on them before I release. So that kind of cuts down like what I want to talk about. Oh, and there's a thunderstorm happening right now. This is just perfect. Note the gods don't want this stream to happen. Yeah, today we're going to be talking about Damon and Coriolis' war in the Stepstones, otherwise known as Damon Targaryen and the problems with pirates. Because it's a children's story. It's just adorable. This will be a major part of the opening part of the season, most likely. I think they're going chronologically. And this stuff all happens... It's a pretty major part of uh, the plots that aren't literally happening at court. Damon sort of is like this eye of chaos that kind of screws up global politics all on his own and makes things incredibly difficult for everyone back at court. And of course, he spends something like five years doing nothing but killing pirates and triarchy guys. So he's got some issues. I talked about this quite a lot in the trailer video I did where I had that whole section talking about Damon's crown and where he got it and what it means to him. We're going to go just a little bit more in depth here because I realize I don't think I've ever seen a video on the Stepstones and specifically this war. So that's what we're doing today. We're going all in. Do I have a quote for this? I should. I was reading Fire and Blood. Oh no, I lost my place. Of course. Of course I did. Of course. The quote I was going to use is basically in Fire and Blood, there's a comment about like, why is King Viserys letting Daemon conquer the Stepstones and why is he giving him gold and what, like what's going on? Why is Viserys okay with this? And Viserys' response is like, oh, it keeps him occupied. Kind of like the sort of thing where you give a kid a new toy just so you can have like five minutes to take a nap or something like that. That's basically Viserys' response, his take on what Damon is doing. It's like, yeah, whatever. He's he's not at core. He's not causing problems for me. So like, yeah, man, going okay. Don't give a shit. And that's sort of, it, it's a weird thing because this is going to be quite a major part of Damon's storyline in season one of House of the Dragon, at least up, up until like the halfway point, I think. But the the effects of it are like hilariously small, but then unexpectedly unexpectedly by the end of the dance of the dragons itself pretty important what ends up happening here with the step zones yeah that's right we talk in thrones that's what's going on here now would be a good time to insert ads i don't think so youtube please stop youtube please stop putting up that message that's not a good idea i don't want to see that yeah so that's that's where we're going to start and as in as we normally do we're going to start with the background in the history because George includes this stuff for a reason. He tells you the history of the Stepstones. He tells you the basic structure of the place. He tells you what normally happens to people who live there because it's important for what we're about to know. I do feel regret though that I didn't have the time to Photoshop Damon onto like a picture of Commander Norrington from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies or something like that. That would have been pretty great. Maybe I'll do that after the stream. For all the lucky people that are watching this on, on replay, you may see the new thumbnail that I came up with to amuse myself after we went live. Oh, that's a lot of lightning. Yeah, I almost lost power yesterday, so fingers crossed not today. It would be on brand, though, if I did lose power. After all the fun I had getting on some other YouTube channels, sometimes I get YouTube ads every four minutes of video. If they're auto-placed, that's up to YouTube, but this is like it's giving me a pop-up 
where it's saying you should put one in right now. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all right. Thanks, man. You, we can put it in afterwards. It doesn't really doesn't really do that much anyway. Ignore the rubber band that I was playing with in my hands. Make sure you guys lamb the old like button, subscribe and do all that stuff. If we get to let's see, we got 70 people watching. We get to 75 likes. We'll throw on a silly hat. 100 likes on the on the stream. We'll give away a T-shirt and 125. I will put on a different silly hat. And they are very silly, very much worth it. Got some good comments I see rolling in already about the meaning of Damon's conquest. I don't even know if conquest is the is the right word. Temporary holding, leasing of the step zones, maybe. Yeah, I think that's right, Billy B, that it is. There's a lot of unintended consequences that comes out of the step zones that Damon, Viserys, and Corlys, none of them see coming, and it ends up being kind of a big deal, even though it doesn't at the time. So let's get going with the history and what the hell even are the stepstones and where are they? So basically there are a series of windswept islands sitting between Dorne and the disputed lands. There's something like seven or eight of them. We only really know the names of four, although it's it's contentious if one of them is actually one of the stepstones. They are the remnants of the Arm of Dorne, the infamous land bridge or the legendary land bridge that connected Essos to Westeros that the first men crossed in order to, I guess, colonize Westeros. After the first men crossed it a bunch of times, apparently the Children of the Forest got pissed and they did a old hammer of waters on the Arm of Dorne and shattered the land bridge into pieces. One of the two times that they have completely shattered land masses in order to stop people from crossing some barrier, which totally didn't work. The first men were already, you know, across. And also they had boats. So it was, it was a confusing decision by the children of the forest. It's kind of like, all right, cool. Smash the arm of Dorne. They're not getting across. And then they see a boat and they're like, oh, we didn't think of that. Damn, damn boats. Boats exist. <laughs> Stepstones War is a good tabletop setting. Yes, it is. It would be... I would be, I wonder if it's in the Song of Ice and Fire tabletop game. I wouldn't know. I don't, I don't play it, but maybe it is. After the land bridge is destroyed by presumably another hammer of waters, even though it's not called that, it's called just the breaking of the arm of Dorne. The land shatters into a bunch of islands and a lot of the landmass just totally sinks down into the sea and you're left with an archipelago in between Dorne and the disputed lands. So the islands... That we know the names of that we'll probably we'll probably see during House of the Dragon are Bloodstone, and these are just charming. Bloodstone, Grey Gallows, Torturers Deep, and unofficially Tyrosh. Tyrosh itself is a part of the island chain that makes up the Stepstone Islands, but because they're so cool and they have a lot of wealth and power in the region, they are not considered one of the Stepstones for unknown reasons. Well, basically, it's a pride thing. The Stepstones are kind of a very crappy place, and uh, they don't want to be associated with that. It's like, no, 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 no. We're not the Stepstones. We're Tyrosh. We're better than them kind of thing. If you don't remember Tyrosh, that's the home of the notable, very cool dude, Dario Naharis, also Bloodbeard. I don't think there are many other I don't think there were any Tyrashi in the show. They definitely, well, I mean, obviously the other than Dario, but they didn't give him his infamous blue hair and yellow mustache. 
and all that good stuff. We're probably going to learn the names of some of these islands in House of the Dragon. We're going to get to this, but there's there's not a lot of detail about the actual war of the war in the step zones with Damon. George specifically doesn't write it and actually writes in Fire and Blood why he didn't write it. I mean, through Gildane, but it's kind of weird. If you want to get some other names for it, you can always go into the Crusader Kings 2 Game of Thrones mod where the people that made it basically filled in a bunch of names for the different islands. None of them are canon. It's one of those places in A Song of Ice and Fire where people really love the idea that like it's this whole big complete thing and there's detail everywhere. And it's like then you look at the step zones and people are like, George, what's the name of the other islands? He's like, no, nah, I don't think of any. <laughs> OK, I guess that's how that works. As you can tell, the step zones are not super on his mind. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to a uh, crab feeder later. And also a Rakalio Rindoon. That is a hell of a name. They do have good names out. Oh, okay. Lights flickered. All right. So fingers crossed we get to we get to finish this stream today. Thoughts and prayers in the chat that I, I don't lose power today. All right. So also, what are the stepstones? Like this is where they are. What are they? And they're kind of similar to Dragonstone and Driftmark. They're these non-productive windswept islands sitting out in the middle of the narrow sea. Very little grows there. They have kind of a warm climate. I think George is drawing on the, the Caribbean islands sort of with it, especially with the massive amount of pirates there. You've got to figure that's what he's going for. They basically are not that big, not productive. You can't grow anything. Just rocky, shitty islands in the middle of the sea. So kind of like the Iron Islands, but just like instead of, you know, up there, they're down in the narrow sea. Crab Randoon. Oh, yeah. Austin Flowers, this is your suggestion. Awesome Flowers is the one on Twitter that answered my call and said, I don't know, talk about the war in the step zones. I was like, you know what? Good idea. I don't think I've ever covered. I don't think I've ever covered that one before. And also the the step zones themselves are pretty much permanently uninhabited, except by random pirates who are currently making port or whatever there. And there's three good reasons for this. One, we already talked about food doesn't grow anything. There's nothing for livestock to graze on. They don't have the soil to grow anything. So basically the only food you have on the step zones is fishing and whatever you can steal from ships that are going by or importing it. But it's almost always inhabited by pirates. So they're pretty much stealing everything. And that's all they got. Also in this kind of environment, freshwater is usually a problem surrounded by a salty sea and none of it to drink. So definitely can't support a permanent population that way. Reason number two. Actually, the stuff going on outside storms, stint storms. This is right below the stormlands. Every single one of those giant storms and thunderstorms and hurricanes that rolls up the narrow sea goes through the stepstones first. So it is constantly being battered and hit by hurricane force winds, you know, giant waves, lightning strikes, the whole thing. It sucks. It sucks to live there. It also means that. If you're going to try and set up a permanent settlement, you have to invest a lot in sturdy housing, which they don't have. Yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean crossover. It, it's fairly. I'm pretty sure that's what George is drawing on here. A bunch of islands ruled by pirates next to Dorne. It just sounds like the, the Caribbean. This is actually kind of the story of Storm's End of like how Durin Durandon had to build like seven castles or something crazy like that until he built a castle that wouldn't be knocked over. You have the same problem, except you have none of the lands and the resources to draw on because they're crappy little islands that nobody wants. And reason number three, location, location, location. The step zones have been the primary staging grounds for many invasions. The 
home away from home for ambitious pirates, and then counter invasions from annoyed armies at the free cities who are pissed off at the pirates plundering their stuff too much. So basically, it's far too politically and militarily unstable to actually have any kind of permanent settler. Nobody would move there because the three outcomes for living on the, the step zones is you may be starved to death, you are maybe plundered by pirates, or you're maybe taken as a slave and sent back to the free city. So this sucks. It sucks to be there. The only people there are those that are there temporarily, mostly just passing through or again, pirate lords who are sitting there in their ships waiting for things to plunder. And that's about it. It kind of ends up being almost like the Thunderdome of the Narrow Sea. Dorne, Northern Westeros, Lys, Tyrosh, Mir. When they're not fighting over the disputed lands, it, they're fighting over the Stepstones. Or they're using the Stepstones as their battleground for fighting also over the disputed lands. There's a lot of proxy wars that are fought over those islands. And one of the sneaky things about it is that the reason pirate lords end up being able to stay base in the Stepstones themselves is that one of the major powers will basically sponsor them, kind of like privateers, in order to raid the ships. Okay, okay. I, I got storms going on here too. To raid the ships of their competitors, which is basically what happened in the pirate times in the Caribbean anyway. There'd be a whole lot of pirates who were sponsored by England and some sponsored by Spain and some sponsored by, I think, Portugal or the Dutch and in France. And they would ignore their own ships from the country that gave them their their sponsorship and then attack everyone else. And that would be kind of their game. These pirates are the Greyjoy rivals. They don't usually come into contact with the Greyjoys except recently, but they definitely would. Them... <laughs> The Greyjoys and the Ironborn are very similar to the kind of people that live on the Stepstones. They reeve. They do not sew. Oh, $20 from Morally. Just a show of love and support. Thank you so much, More. Appreciate the super chat. Also, $5 from Danny McKay. I forgot about this one. Thanks, Danny. Right back. Oh, he signed right back at you. $5 on PayPal. Appreciate it, you guys. You built a kingdom from nothing. Is this a quote from something? It sounds like it's a quote from something. Well, they're, they're not centralized, but they're also not independent. Like... Like I'm saying, pretty much all the time it's being ruled by one of the major powers in the Narrow Sea. It's just who's doing it at the time. The Ironborn are their own thing. They don't listen to the people on the mainland except when they have to. The Step Zones are instead. It's, it's just a large proxy war, essentially. It's an ongoing proxy war for trade in the Narrow Sea. But, you know, why does anyone care? Why, why is there a proxy war going on between... All these different factions across the narrow sea who gives a shit about these islands well the reason they care is trade lots and lots and lots and lots of trade the trade routes that go into the narrow sea all have to go through the step zones and these are the most valuable ones in the entirety of western essos major ports north of the step zones you have king's landing duskendale white harbor bravos mir lis irosh pentos any ship that wants to go from anywhere else in Essos or from the Summer Isles or even further east into Carth or the from the Jade Sea, they have to go through this. So it's a natural place to set up, kind of like the Jade Straits, I think they're called. There's also some straits outside Carth where basically all the trade goes through there and there's two cities on either side and they become wealthy by taxing all the trade that comes through. 
And that's what's going on here. The major trade routes are primarily coming from Volantis and Slaver's Bay in Carth. And yeah, they go through the step zones into Narrow Sea. And the backbone of this trade routes is slaves. It's the slave trade. Whoever the Dothraki basically show up and sell a bunch of slaves to, that city buys them and they send them to the other place. So if they sell a bunch of slaves to like Lys or, or Mir or something like that, then they'll send the extra ones to Slaver's Bay and vice versa, that whole thing. There's obviously other stuff being traded here. Bravos and Pentos. Well, Pent are non-slave cities, as is most of Western, although Pentos is a kind of a slave city. So there is luxury goods and other stuff that comes through the step sounds, but it's primarily the slave trade that is being mined here by the the pirates of the step zones. Tyroth is mostly known for producing kind of like soldiers. I think that's what they're mostly about. Lisp produces what is affectionately known in Fire and Blood as bed slaves. Awful. And you get from apparently Mirror itself is kind of like the administrative center of the slave trade. Step zones reminds me of the Falkland Islands and how British and Argentina fought for them. Yeah, kind of. Oh, no, you missed the start. Don't worry. You didn't miss anything. You missed me sucking at technology because that's what we do here. We suck at technology. <laughs> so let's see here. Where was I? Right. So controlling the step zones and using pirates to do it allows you to effectively control the flow of trade. You get to let your ships go through without being hassled. You get to screw over your competitors. You get to encourage traders to go to one port versus another. So there, it's actually a key part of the economy and politics of the Narrow Sea. And that's not excluding Westeros. The kings of Westeros worry about this too. And Dorne. Remember at this time, Dorne's not a part of the Seven Kingdoms. They care as well. Although just as often as you get one faction or pirate lord in charge of the step zones, they lose it to another one because they're pirates. And then it becomes chaotic. And then everyone's getting attacked. And the general flow of what happens in the step zones is somebody gets really greedy and they go far and above what they've been doing. They start attacking every ship. They start taking everything from them instead of a toll or a tax. They start taking slaves. And then that pisses off the rest of the powers on the narrow sea. They show up, they wipe them off the planet, they install their own guys, who then eventually do the same thing. And it's just kind of an endless cycle of shitheads in the stepstones. That's kind of how it goes. Nobody really wants to take control of it because nobody wants to live there. So it's never, ne it's a never ending proxy wars to control the trade going through the stepstones. Huzzah. <laughs> And again, the extremely lucrative nature of these trade routes and the relative inability to defend or colonize these islands makes them permanently unstable. It's the sort of thing where it's like anybody can look at the stepstones and say, I can conquer that. And they do. It happens all the time. What they forget is, how am I going to defend it? And the answer is they don't. They get no they get wiped out as soon as they take it. The other main use of the stepstones I talked about is invasion forces. So there's very often anyone trying to go from Westeros to Essos or Essos to Westeros uses the stepstones basically to stage their invasion because they're going to have to be going by ship anyway. It's convenient to stop at these islands and but to do it, you have to fight your way through a bunch of pirates, basically. And also the pirates themselves are very often hired as cell sales or cell swords. So when they're when they're not busy plundering ships and taking taxes and tolls, they find themselves being hired to go fight basically in the disputed lands or to go fight for Pentos, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, Guilty Undertaker, Edward Martin. 
Glad to see you guys. It's exactly the same thing we see with the sellsword companies in Essos. Exact same relationship. That's who these guys are. The only difference is they're on ships instead of okay, more thunder. All right, cool. Okay. The Dornish are the ones that mostly care about this because a lot of the times you see invasion forces from Essos trying to take parts of Dorne away from them. They don't really have a lot to do with the trade them. So they can trade with bypassing the step zones. You say to get to a Dornish port, you just have to go around them, basically. So that's the part that they really care about. They care about the military value of the islands. The most famous people to take the islands to use it this way is, of course, the Blackfires and the Nine Penny Kings. The war in the Stepstones that happens later is, again, this, this whole thing. Speaking of the Stormlands, I guess, the basic idea, though, is that it sort of serves as a... The Stepstones end up serving as kind of like a first boss if you want to invade es Westeros or Essos. Oh, the Blackwoods. I was talking about the Blackwoods. So anyway, Red Rob Rivers. What a tongue twister of a name that is. Yeah, it's like the first boss. If you can't get past the pirates on the Stepstones, what chance do you have? taking out the Dornish or the Storm Kings or anything like that. You don't. So it, it actually ends up sort of dissuading a lot of would-be conquerors from making it to Westeros, which is something, I guess. So with the history and lore of the Stepstones, let's talk about like the more recent thing that we care about. So this is the conflict between Damon and Viserys. I talked about this in the teaser video. I also talked about it in the video about whose fault is the Dance of the Dragons. So it basically starts with Damon and Viserys that Damon is very, 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 very unhappy with Viserys. This is going to be probably the first like three to four episodes of the show. To summarize what happened here, Damon is married to Rhea Royce by Jaehaerys and Alysanne. She's the heir to Runestone, which is actually a pretty good get for Damon, and seems likely that she's going to inherit one of the major houses in the kingdoms. The major problem is that Damon and Rhea don't like each other. They hate each other, actually and they want nothing to do with each other. It's, it, was a it was a pure political marriage between a guy that wanted to be king and didn't want to settle for, you know, a castle in the Vale. <laughs> yeah, he wants to be king, yeah. He doesn't want to be the second most powerful lord in the Vale of Aaron. That's a, that's a big step down for him. In order to appease Damon, Viserys gave him a bunch of jobs to sort of keep him from being pissed off at him all the time. You saw the same thing with Daron the Good and Damon Blackfire, another Damon, where basically to keep him happy, they would he would throw money at him. He would keep up his lifestyle. He would give him important jobs to, you know, keep him happy and make him not try to launch a civil war for the throne. He gets made master of laws and master of coins. Neither of those last very long. He then gets a command of the city watch which is seen as at the time as like a very terrible job. Hang on, I need to mute my phone. <laughs> I changed my ringtone to the Mel Gear solid like surprise thing. Gets me every time when you get caught, that kind of thing. It, it was a crappy job. It was basically thrown at Damon as an unsolvable problem. It will take up all his time trying to deal with the city watch and the crime in King's Landing. Unfortunately, Damon rises to the challenge and ends up reforming them to the gold cloaks and basically turns them into a personal army and from there uses his power to effectively become the king of the lower city that was right outside my window all right we're gonna see how far we get into the stream already lost it once did you guys actually hear that in the in the audio did you hear that lightning bolt holy shit that was not far away press one in the chat if you heard that lightning strike that was loud yeah you guys heard it all right everything's fine Everything's going okay. Nothing to worry about. 
just massive lightning bolts strapping around me. Good, good. Glad that one got caught by the microphone. Oh boy. Yeah, so it goes the opposite way on them. Damon instead becomes again a king of the lower city, effectively. He rules over everything that's not on Aegon's high hill and the Red Keep itself. And it's during this time, while he's effectively being king of the lower city, he meets his lover and paramour, Mysaria the White Worm, who is basically his kind of his first love, I guess, because he hates Rhea and he wants nothing to do with her. And then, of course, problems start. Viserys decides on the advice of Otto Hightower, who hates and fears Damon, and also possibly for prophetic reasons, which we're going to get into a video I'm going to be releasing soon, to name Rhaenyra his heir over Damon, which, of course, pisses off Damon to no end, and he quits King's Landing and goes home with his ball and goes to Dragonstone with Mysari and says, screw you guys, I'm going home. Great stuff out of Damon. He's not officially the Prince of Dragonstone, but there's basically no one living there at this point. So Viserys is kind of like, well, I, whatever. I mean, as long as he's not causing problems, I guess. Of course, he's Damon. He's going to cause problems. And his problem is with Mysaria. He gets her pregnant and Damon decides what he's going to do is go into the dragon mont and get a dragon egg to put into the crib of his child which is, you know, a thing Targaryens are known for. But apparently it's only a thing you can do for non-bastards because Viserys and Otto Hightower freak out and say, absolutely not, you have to return the egg and also get the hell out of Dragonstone and also send Mysaria back to Lys. We saw that in the teaser and the trailer and the other teaser and the extended trailer. It's the scene with them on the causeway where Damon is wielding Dark Sister and he's holding an egg with Mysaria behind him. It's a whole big conflict. It doesn't go well. Damon eventually backs down, though. Guilty Undercare asks, has my Sarah been caster hot to? Yes, she has. Uh, although she, the actress hasn't, she's noted as one of the major, like, actors when you look at the House of the Dragon website, but she hasn't really shown up in any of the marketing. I haven't seen her at, like, the premiere or anything. Doesn't look like, I forget her name, doesn't look like she's doing interviews. It's a little strange. I mean, maybe they just added her to the list to make it a round number. Not really sure, but she's going to be a major player in the House of the Dragon for at least like two seasons. So not quite sure what's going on there. But yeah, so Damon backs down and he gives back the dragon egg. He gives up Dragonstone and then also he sends Mysaria back to Lys bearing his child. Of course, for Damon, I mean, like this sucks, but it's not as big of a problem as you think, because obviously he still has Caraxes. He can just fly there if he wants to. He's also not gonna be living at Dragonstone anymore so I guess he could just go live in Lys if he wanted to. Oh thank you for Valerian Knights for saying who's the actress. Yeah I didn't memorize that name. That's my bad. Also sweet Melissa thank you for putting that one in there. But downside while Mysara is on a boat on her way back a massive storm hits kind of like this one and there's tremendous problems with the boat and Mysara ends up having a miscarriage and loses the child. Damon is at a whole new level level pissed. He was here, then he was here, now he's here. He is gonna blow his top. Like he's lost his home, he's lost his lover, he's lost his child, he's lost his inheritance. Like, yeah, Damon's pissed off. He is really pissed off. And not only that, Viserys then tells him, by the way, you have to go back to your wife, Rhea Royce. She's the Lady of Runestone now. You can't ignore her. Go back and be her husband. You can imagine how well that went over with Damon. He obeyed for like six months and then 
completely said, fuck this, I'm out. They can't stand each other. He leaves very quickly after showing up and he goes back to King's Landing. And again, you can see what's going on here with Damon. He's really, really, really mad at Otto and Viserys. And he's been pushed around a lot and he needs something. He needs to do something. He doesn't have the allies that overthrow Viserys, which maybe he wants to at this point. He's extremely disappointed in him. So what can he do? He's got a dragon. He could go kill people, I guess. Where is he going to kill people? The Stepstones, the place where everybody goes to kill people because nobody gives a shit about the pirates. You're going to attack them at will because nobody's going to claim them. And that's kind of what ends up happening. Well, we'll get to that in a, in a second. You think Hot D will show, shy away from showing explicit violence like blood and cheese and the tragic fate of Rhaenyra and Mysaria? That's a good question, Jonas. They've said they're not going to be showing as much. They're not going to be showing explicit sexual violence in the show. I haven't heard anything about regular violence, but we have seen from the teasers and the trailers that, you know, you see a crab feeder who we're going to talk about in a little bit. He is doing his thing that gets him the name. You see Damon killing a bunch of people, particularly on the Stepstones. I don't know. It, it, it would be something if they actually showed explicit like blood and cheese. You do. See, yeah, you do see the gold cloaks, but he doesn't like you just sort of see them punching people. Like if we're talking about like over the top violence, like torture or like beheadings and stuff like that, I'm not really sure. I would expect so. Because they can. H it's HBO. They can get away with it if they want to. I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's a bit curious. Like, are we going to see what happens to Rainies, Or is that going to be like something we see the aftermath of? I mean, we're going to find that out pretty quick, I guess. I don't really have a good read on what, what exactly we're going to see. They've teased a lot of violence in the teasers and in trailers. But like Matt Smith's swinging a sword and somebody falling. It's not like gruesome explicit violence i guess good question though i don't i don't have the answer at this point i guess we'll find out in a couple weeks so what's going on with the stepstones right now when damon's like i'm gonna go kill everybody i can on the island oh by the way who away who likes away from a silly hat 27 likes away from i'll give away a t-shirt and remember at 125 likes i'm gonna put on another silly hat so slam that like button and also to stop the storm gods from trying to stop my streaming or take my house off the grid. Fingers crossed. Maybe the likes will protect me from power outages. <laughs> That'd be silly. So at the time, the Stepstones has been taken over by what's called the Triarchy. The Triarchy is Mirrorless and Tyrosh, who have all teamed up into what's called the Kingdom of the Three Daughters. It's not really a kingdom. They just call it that. It's ruled over by 33 magisters. And it's basically in response to Volantis. Volantis had tried to take a bunch of land out of the disputed lands and the Triarchy had teamed up to throw the elbow straight at Volantis, which totally worked. They won. The Triarchy beat the crap out of, oh, silly hat time. Here we go. There we go. Got my germ hat going. He is a much nicer, nicer turtle than I do, though. Yeah, they won against Volantis. They knocked them back. And in the afterglow of their victory, the Triarchy says like, well, if we beat Volantis, why don't we just take the Stepstones? And they do. Prince Admiral Kragas Drahar, otherwise known as Kragas Crabfeeder, takes the Stepstones and name the three daughters as basically his personal, dom personal domain. He rules it effectively as Prince Admiral or King of the Stepstones. I don't know if he actually styles himself as King of the Stepstones, but he's effectively, that's what he's got going on. And the reason for this is obvious. Not only have the Triarchy recently 
kicked the crap out of Volantis, one of their primary competitors, they can now take over the trade going in and out of the narrow sea. Perfect. They can make the slave trade go to their cities in particular. They can control where luxury goods are going. They can extract oh, lights just flickered. They can extract taxes and tolls from anyone they want. It's a big move and it's one that happens when you're looking at somebody like the Triarchy who are very high on their afterglow of their big victory over big bad Volantis. And actually, at first, everyone's kind of happy with that. They're like, well, you know, we're not super happy the Triarchy has the Stepstones, but they're better than the pirates. The pirates were awful. They the terrible shitheads. They did awful things to our ships and were totally inconsistent. They were like able to at least they were able to rely on what the crab feeder and his men were going to do because they were much more disciplined. It wasn't going to be random, I guess. Also, he has his weird nickname, Kragas, Kragas, Kragas. I don't know how to pronounce it on the show. He has the weird nickname Crab Feeder. We saw it in the trailer in the teaser. It's that scene where there's a whole bunch of guys tied to a bunch of stakes on a beach and there's a guy going around with an axe like sling their throats or something like that. That's why he gets called Crab Feeder. He's famous for taking hundreds of pirates and he puts them on the beach, ties them to stakes and lets the, the tides slowly come in and drown all of them. And he effectively feeds the crabs with their bodies. It's a pretty hor horrifying thing to do. It's like Vladdy and Paler level of, of fucked up things to do. It's why he gets the nickname. He is definitively not a good guy. The crab feeder is going to be a villain, and that's how he's portrayed in the teaser and the trailer. He's got that weird like masks thing going on. He almost looks like a demon. It almost looks like there's something like melted on his face. He's going to be the primary antagonist in the Stepstones for Damon. He does love his nicknames. That's true. Do crabs eat carrion? They do eat bodies. Crabs eat everything. That's sort of their thing. And as falls in the traditions of Kings of the Stepstones or effective Kings of the Stepstones, after taking full control of the islands from the pirates, Crab Feeder gets greedy and he and his admirals start doing a lot more than just taxing ships. They raise the tolls significantly and arbitrarily, particularly to Westerosi ports. We're going to get to this in a second. And they also begin openly pirating ships and plucking people off of them to be sold back as slaves in the Triarchy cities. In particular, they were stealing any women, girls, or young boys as long as, long as they were attractive enough, apparently, to be sent back to the pleasure houses and lists to be trained as bed slaves. Trained is probably the wrong word for it, because it's horrifying. Yeah, his mask's Tom Treader. His mask does look like a Son of the Harpy mask. That's kind of what I thought at first. I was like, what's the Son of a Harpy doing? at House of the Dragon. Maybe they'll make him in the show from Slaver's Bay. Maybe that's why he wears it. I don't really know. And the the one the one example that you get from Fire and Blood of one of the things that really turned opinion against Crab Feeder and his guys in the Stepstones is a story of Johanna Swan. She's the 15 year old niece of Lord Swan, ancestor to Balon Swan. She got plucked off a ship and held captive and lists in the Pleasure House. Her father refused to pay the giant ransom they asked of him, and she got turned into a concubine. 15 year old girl. That's what they did to her. It kind of ended up working out for her in a very strange way. She used her position to effectively become the ruler of Lys. That kind of thing happens a lot in George's stories where like somebody ends up in the, the pleasure houses of Lys or one of the other cities from Westeros and they end up rising to power. But that's like two or three characters they were taking tons of people off boats arbitrarily and selling them to slavery so yay for johanna i guess that she ended up ruling the city she was slate enslaved in 
most people were not that lucky, but they were, they were just taking anybody. They, they didn't care. And in particular, these rising tolls and kidnappings were aimed at by the triarchy part were aimed by the triarchy and their pirates at one particular man, not Viserys, not Damon, Corlys Rion. They were doing this to hurt Corlys Valaron. So I did a whole stream about Corlys a while back with a bookshelf stud. After this is over, I'll put links in the description and everything. One of the main things that we talked about that's important for Corlys's story is that during his voyages, he became extremely materially wealthy, but he didn't actually have a lot of power. You know, he brought back a lot of gold. He brought back a lot of luxury items and spices and things he could sell to become wealthy. So, you know, he had a lot of stuff, but what he didn't have, well, you know, he didn't want to sit on it like a greedy dragon, like smog or something like that, because, you know, that's not how you build a legacy. You know, one bad air or one theft and all of a sudden Corlys has nothing. What Corlys wanted to do was he wanted to invest his, his massive wealth into House Valarion and take them out of the shadow of the Targaryen family. The basic story between the Valarians and the Targaryens is that since the Targaryens became kings, the Valarians were more like favored servants than anything. They didn't, during the conquest, this is one of the weird things, even though they were one of the primary allies of the Targaryens and they were intermarried, they didn't get anything. They didn't get any lands. They didn't become the new Lord Paramount. That was given to the Baratheons. The Baratheons got the Stormlands. The Valarians got nothing. They did sort of get the permanent position of master of ships. And that's that's cool. That's important. But it's not, you know, independent power and influence. The Baratheons got vessels. They got lands. They got armies. They got incomes. The Valarians got the ability to serve the Targaryens, which is you can imagine from Corlys's perspective, actually not that big of a prize. And one of the reasons that he did his voyages, they are specifically dependent on the king and the crown in their favor to keep what they have. They can it can be taken from them at any time. Certainly the Brathians could lose the Stormlands to the crown, but it would be a lot harder, I guess is this is the way of saying it. Vessels, but never lords, right? They didn't even they don't pick up any castles in the crown lands. They didn't pick up any vassals. They just, they kind of got screwed by Aegon in the aftermath of the, de of the uh, conquest. So Corlys Valarian decided to rectify that. He built the fabulous new gleaming castle High Tide, replacing the dreary castle Driftmark as the seat of their family. So this is, again, he's reinvesting. He's up, he's making them seem cooler. He's making them seem wealthier because appearances do matter when you're talking about court politics. Economically, he did two major things. He turned the villages of Hull and Spice Town into bustling port towns, pouring gold into both of them. He made Hull the ship, the ship construction capital of Westeros. Like he was trying to basically rival Bravos in their ability to turn out trade and warships. Spice Town, which was previous, I don't even think it really existed. It was just like a couple villages or something like that, or a couple huts. It was quickly becoming a major port on the uh, on the narrow sea and it was actually starting to rival the free cities he threw everything at this he was investing his wealth to give his family power and he also used the contacts he had from all over the world to contact the the traders he had met and the merchants to come to his ports to come to spice town and hull instead of going to the triarchy and the other free cities Oh, thank you for the super chat. Happy Masquerader. Get hyped for Matt Smith. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see how he's going to play Damon.
It seems like he has a good handle on the character and he's going to play it in a interesting way. So excited for that one. Hey, Sasuke, you missed me losing power and tech problems, which was fun. As you could imagine, everyone else in the narrow sea did not like this development. They didn't like to see a new power rising on the west on the coast of Westeros. They don't want to compete with Corlys Velaryon. That sucks for them. They lose money that way. And that's why Crabfeeder and his men began aggressively taxing and attacking trade ships that were specifically bound for Westeros, but in particular Hole in Spicetown. They were pissed at Corlys and his attempt to make a trade empire in the Narrow Sea. Well, not attempt. He did do it. He built a massive navy. He built an enormous merchant fleet. He was on his way to becoming the new effective lord of the Narrow Sea, which is, you know, smart. You don't just sit on your wealth, you invest it, especially when, when you want power. The actions of Crab Feeder and the rest of the triarchy on the Step Zones is again a big problem for the Crown, because Corlys doesn't take the fact that he's being taxed lightly, and he's one of Viserys' most powerful lords and his keys to power, and it's also hurting his other lords and his own income for because trade is slowing down coming into King's Landing. Also, this is strengthening the Triarchy, who are making a play for the Narrow Sea in, in total. Like, they just beat Volantis. They can take on the Iron Throne. Screw them. Secretly as well, during this time, the Triarchy is being ignored by Dorne and what they're doing on the Step Zones, when previously they would normally fight the pirates. Remember that Dorne is independent during this time, and they are not a fan of the Targaryens and how Aegon and his sisters burn their castles over and over again. They don't want to be in, they don't want to be under the, the rule of the Targaryens, no matter how many times they're told they're in the Seven Kingdoms. So the Dornish are not unhappy the Triarchy is messing with Westeros. So this creates a problem for King Viserys. Orlys, unhappy. King's Landing, unhappy. He's personally unhappy. He's losing income. And there's not, he doesn't really have a good solution for how he's going to clear out the step zones without risking opening open war against the triarchy, which he doesn't want to do. I suppose different kings would have just burned Tyrush to the ground or something like that, but that's not what Viserys wants to do. He doesn't want to risk open war. Maybe he thinks it would destabilize his throne, or if he tries, Rhaenys or, or Daemon may make a play for his throne or something like that. Totally possible. I would be scared of that too. In a way, you can almost see it as Corlys and Rhaenys trying to bait Viserys into fighting the war so that maybe they can use it to try and take it for themselves or find a convenient way for the king to die in battle or something like that. So we have the seahorse and the dragon go to war. Damon returns to the court after not being able to stand the veil and Rhea Royce. Damon meets with Corlys. They talk about their problems and realize they can do something about it. They can forge an alliance. Corlys will take his navies and he will invade the Stepstones to restore the trade routes and get his merchant ships going again. Daemon will get whoever he can get to follow him and he's going to land on the islands of Caraxes and clean them out. Kill the Triarchy, kill the pirates, get them out of there. Corlys will get his trade routes back. Daemon will crown himself king of the Stepstones and he'll be independent from Viserys. This is all working out pretty good. This is... This, is, this works out great for them. It's going to help them both. And notably, Damon, though, doesn't have an army. He has a bunch of gold cloaks, but it's different to ask a bunch of assholes to go beat up people in King's Landing. It's another to ask them to get onto a bunch of boats and fight a war in the step zones over a bunch of rocks. So he doesn't really have much of an army. He puts out a call and he gets 
a bunch of like second sons, a bunch of knights, mercenaries, basically whoever who's hot for war and strikes out to invade the Stepstones. It's kind of like kind of his own sword company at this point. But this is like kind of reminiscent of Aegon the Conqueror's conquest of Westeros. He didn't have that many troops at the beginning. He mostly just had dragons. And that's what Damon thought. He's like, well, I don't have a lot of guys. I got Caraxes. I got Corlys. So we can do this. Fun fact of the war in the Stepstones. It doesn't seem like Rhaenys and Maelys took part in the war at all. Didn't we're going to get to Rare Royce's accident in a bit. Guilty Undertaker. Yeah, it it, it seems like I think there's a very good reading on what's going to happen here in the show. And what we see in Fire and Blood is that Damon was kind of used as a pawn here by Corlys and Rhaenys. I mean, like, why doesn't she take part? She's a great warrior. Maelys is a big dragon. They could presumably do it faster. And the reason is obvious. It's dangerous. These aren't just like peasants in King's Landing Damon's going up against. A lot of these are veterans from the the Volantine War. A lot of them will be have been sacking ships and killing people for years now. And you're fighting them effectively on their home turf. You're doing it without enough troops. You're going to be going up against the Triarchy directly. And yeah, it's it's. It's a dangerous thing to do. Kind of someone only sort of desperate and crazy would stage a land invasion of the Stepstones, which is why Damon does it and not Rainy. It's also it, the other reason to think that they probably manipulated Damon here is that they're actually getting the good prize. Damon's thinking about it in terms of, well, I'm going to get this crown and I'm going to be, you know, outside Viserys's control. I'm going to be my own king, but it's king of nothing. Nobody wants to be king of the Stepstones. It sucks. Whereas Corlys and Rhaenys, they get their their wealth back. They get their trade routes back. They get their the the source of their power and influence in Westeros back online and potentially grow it. So Damon's kind of being used here. He's sort of getting the booby prize. And it also seems for certain that in the backdrop of this, Damon made some kind of merge pact with the Valarians. Most likely with Lena. Corlys and Rhaenys had been trying to get Viserys to name to marry Lena, and he had turned them down. But clearly, Damon is a potential heir to the Iron Throne. And in a, in a conflict between Rhaenyra and Damon, it's quite clear Corlys and Rhaenys have thrown behind Damon if it ends up coming to that. And the speed at which Damon later marries Lena makes it quite clear. Much like how Viserys got the Iron Throne, probably by promising a marriage pact with Otto Hightower. Same thing here. Seems the show is using Rhaenys from Marcus Agrippa as the main power that ignites the Black Faction, kind of the brains behind Corlys and Damon's Braun. Yeah, definitely. Rhaenys is going to be getting a big role, kind of like Olena Tyrell is what it seems like she's going to be sort of playing. And it's the same thing here. Notably, Lena is basically the reason the Valarians are doing this. They were extremely unhappy about Lena being turned down to marry King Viserys, and they were tired of living at the whim of him, of the king. So they used Damon and this War of the Stepstones in order to increase their power and to make sure that they continue being independently powerful away from the king, and potentially setting themselves up if there ends up being a civil war between Damon and Rhaenyra that they'll be behind Damon and they'll be able to fight the Iron Throne. That's that's sort of the Cold War thing that's going on here. It's what it's kind of a funny thing where eventually they switch sides, where despite being against Rhaenyra at this time, eventually the Valarians end up on her side. 
but it's not really. They don't, they're not on Rhaenyra's side. They're on Damon's side. And Damon happens to be with Rhaenyra. So that's who they support. Lena was 12. That's part of the reason Viserys turned it down, but it was supposed to be a political marriage anyway. And they wanted they wanted their influence at court paid off and Otto beat them to it, unfortunately. The other re- the other way you can tell that this is personal about why they're doing this to spurn Viserys is because they notably none of them attend the Viserys' wedding to Alicent. Damon skips it, Corley skips it, and so does Rainey's as far as I remember. So yeah, that he has to be looking at the stepzone war and the budding alliance between Damon and Coralise and Rainey's going like, oh, I may have screwed up here. I may have accidentally caused a faction to coalesce against me. This sucks. So what Viserys does instead is he funds the war. He gives Damon all the gold he wants to go fight the Stepstones and fight the Triarchy. And the again, the reason is obvious. He's keeping him out of his hair. He's not an active threat in King's Landing with the Gold Cloaks. And also, he's going to use Damon to solve his problem with the Stepstones, but it also kind of pays him and Coralise off. He's funding their war. He's going to basically effectively give them a whole bunch of money to say, sorry, I married Alice. Sorry about all the things I did. This will make it right. And it kind of works, sort of, a little bit. There ends up being some other conciliations that come later. So let's talk about Crab Feeder and the war in the Step Zones. All right, so this is going to be the good stuff, right? We're going to talk about all the different battles. We're going to hear about all the ways that, like, Damon invaded and how he used Caraxes in these ship battles, right? No, we know nothing. <laughs> this is the point where Fire and Blood basically says, I didn't write this part. My bad. Here's the quote itself. It is not our purpose here to recount the details of the private war Damon Targaryen and Corlys Velaryon waged on the Stepstones. Suffice it to say that the fighting began in 106 AC. Prince Damon had little difficulty assembling an army of landless adventurers and second sons and won many victories during the first three years of the conflict. In 108 AC, when he last came face to face with Kragas Crabfeeder, he slew him single-handed and cut off his head with Dark Sister. That is the extent of what we know about the wars, about the war in the step zones from fire and blood. George just punted it. He said, nah, not writing it. I don't think this will be good enough to put into my book. Or this is like something I cut in editing, or I don't, I don't really know. It is a wild decision to put that in there. That's it. That's what we got. And it's the entire record of the war. One paragraph. Yes, I was okay. Was he saving it for later? Boy. It's almost like George wrote Fire and Blood as basically a script for a TV show, and he was intending to fill this in later because he knew it would be good on TV and it would be hard to write. That he was basically writing an outline for somebody to pitch HBO to make this show. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened here. <laughs> that's that was basically the purpose of Fire and Blood anyway. It was it was written to set up a prequel show this prequel show uh, it was initially going to be what's his name it was initially going to be brian cogman and then that fell through so it became brian condal instead that's what fire and blood is for it was to make house of the dragon so that's what happened here he just didn't write it because he knew it eventually would be a tv show and they would do it a lot better which they will you think that's what he was doing back then absolutely absolutely that's what he was doing that's what it was written for because it came out of nowhere he wrote the Rogue Prince and the Princess and the Queen a while ago, but he filled in the rest of it, particularly the dance around it, and did a lot of changes to it. 
and released the whole book, clearly setting up House of the Dragon. Like, there's no way that's what that wasn't what he was doing. From the show, it looks like we're gonna get a pretty good look at this war. Crab Feeder makes several appearances in the trailer. Again, he looks pretty demonic. He almost looks like he has like a, a horn or something like that. We see images of Damon probably on Caraxes burning Triarchy soldiers alive. He's cutting them down with Dark Sister. We also have a scene of Corlys personally leading Valarian troops to battle. If you do a slow-mo, it actually looks like they're fighting Dornish as well, which we'll get to in a little bit. So yeah, this section of Fire and Blood is going to go from a paragraph to probably several episodes worth and very much expanded with what they're going to do. Thought it was a bone he was throwing his publisher, says C-Bob. Nope. If he wanted to throw him a bone, he would have finished Fire and Blood. That's what they want. I mean, he would they would finish The Winds of Winter, not Fire and Blood. Nobody even asked him for Fire and Blood. He just ate, handed it over and said, here, publish it. We're like, all right, I guess that's something. Sweet Melissa asked me on Patreon, will this be the only battle we see in the first season? And the answer is yes, probably most likely, unless they're adding something. They're probably going to end the season probably around Luceris dying. That's where I would finish it based on what we've seen. And the, the quotes they have, I don't think they're going to go for much further beyond that. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to give away a t-shirt. Let me finish answering a question. And we're going to do that. There's no other battles between the Great Council and roughly where Luceris dies. That all happens in season two. So any battle scenes in the first season of House of the Dragon will probably be from the Step Zones. Let's fire up Nightbot. We'll do a giveaway here. All right. So if you want to live... Win yourself a t-shirt from my Threadless shop at joemagician.threadless.com. You can go check it out quickly if you want to. I think links are in the description. Type the word crab feeder in the chat. Type crab feeder to win. There we go. Also, keep slamming the like button at 125. I'm going to put on a different silly hat. We only have about a half hour to go. Exactly as I put it in chat. Crab feeder one word. But yeah, that's my guess. This will probably be the only battles we'll see. Although we are going to see tourneys and melees. We've seen Damon and Kristen Cole fighting. We've seen jousting. So it's not going to be like just court politics and then this war and then nothing. We're definitely going to see some pretty brutal tourney fights. In particular, the uh, the one with Kristen Cole and Joffrey Lonmouth. Is that who it is? Hang on a second. Yes, Joffrey Lonmouth when he gets absolutely punked out by Kristen Cole. So there's going to be other like armed violence and sword fights and stuff like that. But this will be the only battle, I think. Crab feeder makes a nice piece of merch. Yeah, maybe. Yep. Crab feeder in the chat if you want yourself a free t-shirt. Roll it at 3.30, so three minutes from now. Okay, so we don't really know what happens in the fights, in the war itself, in the battles. Just that it goes well for Damon at first. He grabs a bunch, he grabs an army of guys, it's mostly Caraxes, shows up and beats down, Crab Feeder kills him, knocks out the Triarchy from the Step Zones. Cool, right? They're making a lot of progress. Things are going good, but they're running into the problem that anybody can conquer the Step Zones. It's not hard, it's holding it that's very difficult. And while Viserys is giving them all the gold they need, he's not giving them troops. And the Triarchy is unhappy, to say the least, that they have lost control of the Step Zones. So they instead, they keep throwing troops and fleets and more pirates and more cell cells back at Daemon. So his war goes from offensive to defensive. And you start to see Daemon start to waver in his desire to actually hold on to the Step Zones. You know, it's it's all cool when you're thinking about like, oh, I'm not going to be under Viserys's thumb. I'm going to be my own king. Things are going to be great. 
And then the reality of living on the step zone sits in and it sucks. He likes living at court. He likes the nice things. You know, maybe living at court under your brother's thumb isn't as bad as being in constant horrifying warfare and on windswept islands that nobody wants to live on. Also notable, Damon had never been at war before. As commander of the Gold Cloaks, he was more like a thug or a cop. He just went around beating up people. Being a soldier against the Triarchy forces and what he probably saw down there is a very different thing. So that's not great. Also, the war starts not going well for Damon. The Tairashi Halio Rendun enters the war as a flamboyant rogue, as George calls him, which is an interesting description. And also Dorn joins the war. They join up with the Triarchy and they start squeezing Damon from both sides and really attacking and forced to get him out of the step zones which they're doing. Damon can still hold most of it because he's still got Caraxes, but it's not easy. He's like losing battles. He's losing islands. Things aren't going good. Damon's coping mechanism is admirable. Yeah, he's coping with loss by trying to forge a kingdom. I guess that's what you do when you're a Targaryen. Last call for if anyone wants to win a t-shirt, crab feeder in the chat. We're going to roll it in. Here we go. Ready? I think that's, I think I just beat the, uh, the delay. Yes, that's right, Kieran Grant. Living in step zones is like living in the Vale. He doesn't like it. It's not that different. He likes being at court. He likes being in the Red Keep. He doesn't like being in the middle of nowhere. All right, here we go. Young Dark Vader. <laughs> Congratulations. So if what you need to do is send me a DM on Twitter at the Joe Magician, or you can send me an email to askjoemagician at gmail.com. And I will send you a code that you can use at my Threadless shop, $20 off, which I think there's a sale going on. So you should be able to get a T-shirt and like a sticker or something or basically whatever you want. You just get $20 off. Way to go, buddy. Thanks for watching. So, yeah, this is very similar to Danny after taking Marine, where she finds that conquering is way easier and cooler than holding and ruling. And Damon's having the same problems. Unsurprisingly, that is a running problem in the Song of Ice and Fire. There's a reason the Dothraki just conquer everything and don't try and rule it because that's way easier to do. So in 111 AC, five years after heading down to the step zones, Daemon unexpectedly arrives back at court during the Great Tourney and King's Landing for Viserys' fifth anniversary to, of his marriage to Alicent Hightower. And this is the exact tourney where the infamous green and black dresses names the factions. In case you weren't aware, that is why they are named to what they, that's why they're called the Greens and the Blacks. At this journey, Rhaenyra wore black, Alicent wore green, and that became the names of the factions of a terrible, terrible war. Yeah, that's right, Guilty Undertaker. Robert would agree with that assessment as well. Ruling sucks. Conquering's fun, apparently. How would he make money once his brother stopped sending him gold, make a fleet and start charging ships fees? That's basically what he would have had to do. He would have had to become a new pirate lord, but he would have also been basically under the thumb of Corlys at that point. That's that's when, when, I'm, when I was talking about how the crown is a hollow prize. Like it's the relationship that many of the pirate lords found themselves in the step zones where they weren't really in command because the people owning the ports back on the mainland were actually in control. They're the ones sending them gold. They're the ones sending them food and water. And they it's, it's not very fun. What was Allison going with the green? I don't know. She just liked the color green, I guess. I don't think the Hightower colors aren't even green. I don't even know where it came from. I guess she was just wearing a green dress. It is quite confusing. Rhaenyra wearing black is definitely not out of character. She's wearing black for the Targaryen. She wears a lot of red and black in the imagery we see. So 
Damon shows up at the tourney, lands on Caraxes, and formally gives up his crown to Viserys, submitting again to be a part of the Seven Kingdoms. He's going to be a subject of Viserys again. Or more effect, more precisely, he's handing over the Stepstones to Viserys, kind of being like, I'm done with this shit. This sucks. Although before that, there is an interesting moment that I'm not sure if they're going to pick on the show. It'd be interesting if they do. Before he lands, it's noted that Damon makes three laps in the sky on Caraxi, like making sure everyone sees him. And then he lands and then he gets out Caraxes and goes up to Viserys and submits. So I'm wondering what everyone thought seeing Damon on Caraxes above a tournament. Like, did they think he was about to attack them? Did they think he was about to fly to the Red Keep and claim himself king? Like, what what was he doing here? Why was he doing that? You can imagine Damon himself was probably uncertain about his intentions. Like, if he's giving up his crown, he's giving up his pride. He's giving up the his the tension between him and Viserys. He's basically admitting defeat. He's going back under the thumb of the king and giving up the dream he had with Corlys to be his own king of the narrow sea and step zones. And it's like, woof, that is tough to do. I am also very curious if Damon actually did consider attacking the tournament grounds. I don't know if he would do that because Rhaenyra was there and that ends up being a big part of his plan in the why he comes back. But it's not it's not zero percent that he wasn't going to fly down with Caraxes and just start killing people. Certainly that would have been on the mind of everyone there. It's the same as when Jaehaerys and Alysanne arrived at Old Town after the High Septon died and they all just went like, are they going to kill us? Are they here to like burn down the city and it turns out no but it definitely was an implication so damon shows back up he rejoins the court he gets a job on the small council again i don't even know which job he gets it doesn't really matter riverlanders would have been shitting bricks yeah i am sure everyone was extremely concerned to see caraxes in the sky unexpectedly too nobody knew he was coming he just showed up out of nowhere so he reconnects with all his friends in the lower city he gets back in in deep with his gold cloak buddies reestablishes his contacts and notably damon has a new plan he's going to seduce the unmarried at this time princess Rhaenyra, his niece who has always been fond of him but is now a lot more grown up gross gross out of damon obvious this is like textbook grooming behavior, what he's doing. He was doing it since she was a young age. Now that she's like grown up enough to actually have sex, now he's going for it. It's it's really fucked up. And it's going to be a thing in the show where they're going to show it like, oh, well, they're Targaryens and, you know, the incest is normal for them. And look, they really like each other. No, it's it's messed up. It's messed up the whole way. It's going to be uncomfortable to see. I'm going to hate it. I already do hate it. I do not want to. <laughs> Be like, oh, how sweet that the two of them really like each other and they fell in love. It's like, nope, not about it. And it gets worse because we get the story of Mushroom of what actually happens after Damon arrives. So the story goes, okay, so there's there's a few different stories. There's the tame one that Damon and ended up being found in bed with Ren, clearly having sex or having just had sex, and then gets basically gets caught by Viserys and then exiled from the city the the not okay the the more wild version of it is that damon effectively 
it's like a Pornhub video or something like that. It's like these crazy things with like, you see it everywhere. with like the stepsisters or, or whatever, where like he gives her sex lessons or something. I don't know. There's a story of like, they fly off to like random islands where nobody can see them. And then they practice their sex moves on each other. It's, it's insane. I don't know how far they're going to show this on the show. Matt Smith gave a quote the other day where he was annoyed at how many sex scenes he had to do in this show. So it may be quite a lot. It may be the testimony of Mushroom is the true one. The long and the short of it, though, it's during this time that Damon effectively gets Rhaenyra pining for him. They most likely did have sex. Yeah. But it doesn't last because, again, Viserys catches Damon and says, what are you doing screwing my daughter? You're her uncle. Also, she's you're not marrying her. You already have a wife. Get out of here. Of course, for she's going to say it in a much different way, but yeah, that's basically what's going on. Damon had effectively shifted his strategy at this point from trying to be king of the Stepstones to being king consort of the future queen because Rhaenyra is the heir at this point. So he's like, well, if it can't be the king by rights, I can at least be second in command. So that's what he's going for. Again, it doesn't work out. He gets banishes Damon from court. He returns to the step zones and he's just kind of annoyed at this point. He doesn't want to be on the step zones. He clearly wants to be back at court. His plan is to seduce Rhaenyra and eventually marry her. But the only problem is he still has a wife. Yeah, about that, that whole thing about having a wife thing. Actually, this part of Damon's life is a lot like Stannis, where Stannis is like, I hate being on Dragonstone. There's no money here. I can't, there's nothing grows here. I have no troops. I have no authority. That's what Damon thinks about the Stepstones at this point, what he still controls with them. He's like, I, I, I don't want it. I want something better. <laughs> I want to be, you know, Prince Damon again. I don't want to be king of nothing. Luckily for Damon, quite quickly, Rhea Royce dies. Boy, that is convenient for Damon. She apparently died during a riding accident, which I think all of us are very tuned in to the fact that riding accidents in Westeros are never riding accidents. I don't think there's been an incident of any character dying in a riding accident in the books that wasn't specifically a murder. So there definitely is a sense that Damon perhaps hired somebody or perhaps use my Saria to get his wife murdered because boy, does it help him when she dies, especially because the first thing he does is right after he, she dies, he gets word. He flies back to Lee to runestone and says, I claim runestone. I was the husband of Rhea Royce, the lady of the castle. Therefore it's mine. Oh, Luther Tyrell. Is that the only one? Yes. Yeah, so Elena was in league with that cliff. Absolutely. She paid off the cliff to kill Luthor. It, it, it could be an accident. It could just be super convenient. But considering the fact that he has his own mas mistress of whispers and that he's well acquainted with, you know, people from the underbelly of society who will kill people for money, it would be really surprising if the super convenient death wasn't ordered by Damon. I guess we'll find out in the show. I would suspect that, though, that Damon did it or that he uh, that, that he had a hand in it because, yeah, he. He just shows up and instantly says, Runestone's mine. And then the Lord of the the Lord of the Vale says, No, it's not. Get out, Damon. And basically told him to leave the Vale and never come back or they're gonna kill him. Which is a thing to say to Damon Targaryen on Caraxes. But he takes the hint and he leaves the Vale, you know, without a wife anymore and without Runestone, but didn't really want Runestone anyway. I think he was just kind of like, cool, maybe I, I can finally have a castle that doesn't suck. 
I, I suppose. The main reason that it's super convenient is that the fact that Damon was married this whole time was actually a pretty big problem for him. If he were single, he definitely could have used himself to forge some alliances. Like, who knows, maybe he could have found, like, the daughter of a prince of Pentos, or the daughter of the Sea Lord of Bravos, or, like, the daughter of the Triarch, one of the Triarchs of Atlantis, and use that to get himself more allies to defeat the Triarchy and secure his position. It would have been really cool for him to be able to do that, and he couldn't, because he was married to Rhea Royce. So... It is very, 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 very convenient. After she, oh wait, where am I? It is surprising that Damon backs down again. This is one of those funny things about Damon as a character where he's always angry. He seems like he's always on the verge of killing people. He's like a violent guy. And then like Varys tells him to do a bunch of stuff and he does it. The Aarons who have no dragons tell him to leave the veil and never come back. And he does it. You think this is one of those things that makes me wonder about Otto Hightower's like insistence that Damon's gonna murder their entire family it's like did he ever do that before I don't think so he killed a bunch of pirates in the step zones but he hasn't heron hauled anybody he hasn't used Caraxes to kill his enemies like he's mostly played by the rules of Westeros so I don't know I mean he's a rogue prince but he's not Magor the Cruel or at least he hasn't shown it yet so Otto Hightower is wrong again that's my take <laughs> I do find it funny, though, that Damon hates living on the step zones because it's basically what it would have been like for him living on Dragonstone, where it's like it's the same situation. It, it is ironic that Damon hates the step stones because that's what his family effectively ruled for like hundreds of years with nothing else. Damon would have been unhappy there. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. Gray waste him. Why would he do it now if he could have done it earlier when it was when it was more beneficial? And the answer could be Lena Valarian. And that's what we're going to talk about now. Lena has is no longer 12 years old. She's now 17 years old. And even though Damon can't marry Rhaenyra, definitely can marry Lena. Although there is a problem there. She also has she is betrothed. She is betrothed to the son of a former Silo to Bravos who has squandered his money, squandered his power and showed up at high tide trying to enforce the marriage to Lena. Coriolis made it years ago when the Sea Lord was, you know, alive and powerful, trying to get an ally against the Trier. He died and now that kid sucks. But Lena is still betrothed to him and Coriolis and Rhaenys don't want to break the, the marriage because it will look bad, I guess. <laughs> that That's kind of the explanation you get in Fire and Blood, that they want to kick the kid out, that they want him to, they want to remarry Lena to somebody else. Actually, during this time, they wanted to remarry her to Viserys. So clearly the whole bravos thing was they wanted to get rid of this kid but they couldn't damon hated the veil so why would he want runestone so much i don't think he wanted runestone i think he wanted out of his marriage either for rhaenyra or lena valarian so after he leaves runestone he leaves the veil he doesn't go back to king's landing he goes to high tide and he meets with the valarians he talks with corlys they basically agree to give up the whole step zones invasion plan at this point because it's not working out for them or it's not working out for Damon anymore. It's clearly been working out for Corlys, who's been having five years of trade coming back. So what ends up happening is the story in Fire and Blood is actually kind of funny. It, it's it's like something out of like a Hallmark movie where Damon is walking across the hall and he looks over and he sees Lena and she looks over and she sees him and like sparks fly and they're like oh my god i never noticed you before my true love lena and damon when it's probably more likely that damon flew to high tide specifically because 
he had a deal previously with Corlys with their alliance in order to invade the step zones. And he was there to enforce that pact. He was there to marry Lena. He, it wasn't like he suddenly discovered Lena Valarin existed. I am sure he knew she existed for years. It's and especially because Damon basically then does the Valarians a favor. He sticks around in high tide and he spends like weeks pissing off this, the son of the sea Lord of Bravos, the former sea Lord eventually gets the kid to duel him. Damon kills his ass with dark sister and then instantly marries Lena Valarian. It solves all their problems instantly. It's, it's so convenient that nothing works out for Damon. Otherwise, this is like a series of events that work out perfectly for him to go from Rhea dies. He leaves the stepstones. He gets his marriage to Lena and he gets his position back at court. It's like everything Damon wants at this point. I'm looking handsome today. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be quite as romantic as it sounds in Fire and Blood. Actually, the the way it's portrayed in Fire and Blood is fairly romantic. It's almost like a romance novel. What happens between Lena and Damon, which is weird because as far as Damon is concerned, he only wants Rhaenyra. So it'd be weird if like he's pining after Rhaenyra for years and sleeps with her and does this gross like sex training thing and then just goes like, you know what? I actually really, really love Lane of Alarian. Also not my sorry. Yeah, it's a super convenient. It is extremely convenient. So yeah, he marries Lane of Alarian and they go off on a world tour with their dragons. And he at this point has abandoned the step zones, the conquests via Corlys and Damon over. They give up the islands. The Triarchy admirals and pirates immediately swarm the islands, kill Damon, whoever's still there from Damon's army and reestablish the old thing again. You know, I think something like five pirate lords take over the Stepstones in five years, which is pretty normal. Status quo restores with Damon not in charge. It's actually, this is one of those things where the, the world tour of Damon and Lena, they get on Vagar and Craxies and just fly around Western SO seeing stuff. It's portrayed as sort of like this romantic honeymoon, whereas if you look at where he goes, it actually tells potentially a different story. Everywhere they stop are enemies of the Triarchy. He goes to Volantis, he goes to Pentos, he goes to Cohort, and he goes to Norvos, and it's also said that he goes to the Freehold. That one's not clear. Supposedly, he and Lena actually went back to the Doom of Illyria. It's it's again, it's portrayed as like, oh, this, this whirlwind honeymoon, they're seeing everything. But it's also kind of suspicious that, yeah, he goes to places where if you were looking for allies against the Triarchy and potentially the Iron Throne, that's where I would go to those cities, too. Those are the most likely of the free cities to have a problem with the Triarchy at this point. But nothing ends up happening of it. No allies are made. Damon never goes back to the Stepstones. They do live outside Pentos, I think, while Lena is having their first, while Lena's pregnant until, until she gives birth. I forget if it's, I think it's Pentos. Is it Norvos? I think it's Pentos. And that's kind of the end of the War in the Stones. So that should cover like, I don't know, episodes two, three, four, five or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how, how much they're expanding it, but this will be over before they switch from actresses, before they switch to the older versions of Rhaenyra and uh, Rhaenyra and Alicent. The aftermath, though, is something we've been talking about a bit, and it doesn't end here. So it ends here for Damon in terms of his in terms of his ambitions of being king of the Stepstones and the Narrow Sea. But basically, the power vacuum that he and Corley's leave behind ends up being a major problem during the Civil War. 
for the for the black faction. Like, for instance, the Triarchy and Dorn have not forgotten that Damon spent something like seven years killing their sons, killing their soldiers, burning everything they threw at them, and pretending he's the king of the narrow sea. They're not happy about that. They're also not happy that Corlys made such a blatant power grab to control the narrow sea in Damon's name. <clears throat> in Damon's name. They're also not happy that Viserys helped them. So this sets it up when the war starts and the Greens are looking for allies. Super conveniently, the Triarchy, the Pirates, and Dorne are very, very happy to jump on board to have an opportunity to fight the Valarians and fight Damon again to essentially give him back to give them back the grief that he that they gave them and it it like takes something like 20 years but they do end up paying them back by the end of the dance of the dragons Coralise's plans for the Valarians being a powerhouse for generations to come are gone Damon I mean spoilers I guess for the end of you can just read it in fire and blood but Damon ends up dead he Coralise as well I mean, everyone ends up dead, but they end up dead by the end of the Dance of the Dragons. Valarians have their fleets destroyed. Spice Town and Hull get sacked. High Tide gets burned and never rebuilt. And it's all because basically that they took this crazy power grab at the Stepstones. Otherwise, the Triarchy probably would have stayed out of the war. Maybe they would have gotten some cell sales. Maybe they would have gotten a few cell sword companies. Maybe one of the Triarchy cities on their side. But otherwise, they probably were totally going to stay out. And... It's specifically because Coralise and Damon pissed them off that they joined and ended up screwing up the blacks. It's one of those one of those things where Damon's recklessness eventually does catch up to him. His recklessness with how he threw aside the Royces, how he threw aside the veil, how he attacked these islands for years at a time really ends up biting him in the butt as time goes on. Viserys too. It's one of those things that you don't really hear about in the Dance of the Dragons where it's like what are the major things that caused it? What really swung the war one way or another? And you think about like, oh, it was the dragon battle or it was Rook's rest or it was Tumbleton. But it's actually one of the primary factors that made the blacks effectually lose. Well, they both kind of lost in the end. But what made their faction fall apart and particularly the Valar and their, their power at sea is this. The war in the Stepstones is why they ended up losing it, losing their power. So it'll be interesting to see how they portray it in the show. I imagine it will be kind of the same thing where Damon and Coralise will walk away from it at some point and just being like, all right, well, you know, we couldn't do it, but no harm done, whatever. And then give it a couple of seasons and all of a sudden the Triarchy is going to show up again and absolutely kick the shit out of the blacks at sea. And they're going to make Damon and Coralise pay for what they do here. So, yeah, good suggestion by Austin Flowers. This was a fun thing to kind of look at. It also reveals quite a lot about Damon as a character, just how quickly it really f forces him to focus on what he actually wants where and what he's willing to live with and what he's willing to live without. It turns out Damon is, even though he's very angry at Viserys and he doesn't want to live under his brother's rule anymore, he wants to be his own guy. In the end, he finds out that like, no, actually, I like being at court. I like being in power. I like being a prince. And... There are things I'm willing to accept because there's a lifestyle and a quality of life that I that he enjoys. And that's not something you generally think about in terms of Damon, because he seems like such a hardliner to like what he wants to do and and how 
clearly he power grabs, but he ends up being a character who compromises quite a lot. He compromises when he gives up the dragon egg. He compromises when he leaves the veil. He compromises when he, instead of seeking the throne himself, he goes after her as gross as it ends up being. So yeah, it, it's, it's a very revealing part of him. And this is one of the reasons that I have said before that Damon's probably going to be the main character, at least of this season. And this stuff is why. You don't show the Stepstones because of Coralise. You show the Stepstones because of Damon. Have, how will I be covering House of the Dragon once the season starts from Sweet Melissa? So what I'm going to be doing is after each episode, I'm going to go live right away and we're going to do like a half hour, hour live stream talking about what we just watched. And then I'll be putting out a video of some kind during the week. And that's kind of my content plan, I guess, if you want to call it that. I've got, I'm going to try and get out three videos before the season starts. I'm doing one on Dragon Dreams. I have that one recorded after we finish today. In a little bit, I'm going to go ahead and keep editing that one and get it ready. I'm also going to be doing one about who's right about the succession within universe. And what was the other one I wanted to do? I wanted to do one about like what will be confirmed by House of the Dragon, like which mysteries, like just like make a list of all the different mysteries you know, from Fire and Blood that will probably be in season one. And just be like, this is these are things you can look forward to. Like, for instance, how did Rhea Royce actually die? How did what happened at Harrenhal with Harwin and Lionel Strong? Although, like, how did Lainor Valarian actually die? That kind of stuff. So I think that's probably what we're going to be doing. I'm going to be making all the streams ahead of time so that you can just go on them and like them and add the thing to say, like, notify me when this goes live. So that'll be my plan for the season. So I think it's going to be 10 episodes. So yeah, going to be doing a lot of stuff. Poor Quentin's going to be coming on for at least one of the live streams. We have to I actually have to message him and figure it out when. And the other thing we're going to be doing before the season goes live, going to be finishing the Dying of the Light read through. I'm going to record with Lady Gwyn and we're going to get that one out and we're going to go full House of the Dragon for like two months. I'll be putting up posts and stuff like that on Patreon and YouTube. So yeah, shouldn't miss anything. I guess if you're watching this back on YouTube or after the stream ends, post in the comments, did Damon kill Rhea Royce or was it a happy accident? What's your perspective on it? That's going to be one of those things where it's going to be it's it's definitely uncertain and it's not alluded to in Fire and Blood that Damon had anything to do with it, but it's so convenient that it seems like he would. So yeah, throw it in the comments of the video afterwards and I'm going to go ahead and start continue editing the audio on the fire on the dragon dreams video and yeah i'll see you all i don't know if i'm gonna do a stream next week because we're pretty close to the maybe if something comes up i don't know maybe i'll do something to to answer questions about the dragon dreams video because it's like kind of it's out there i guess at this point hope everyone doesn't plan on going live after the show that's a lot of streams going on at once i mean the same thing happened during season eight so and there's gonna be tons more people watching everything so it, it's one of those things where it's like it sucks if you're trying to figure out who you want to watch but the audience goes through the roof so nobody's gonna be missing anything you can always watch on replay too if you want to so yeah i'm gonna get going hope you guys all have a happy saturday looks like my thunderstorms have passed there's now clear blue skies out which was kind of weird and i will see you all next time